Hello again, welcome to the Paleo in Dubai podcast. I'm Lemis from Paleo in Dubai with Michelle Harvey from Shall I Cook? And today we're with uh, Dr. Graham Simpson from Euromed Clinic. Is that right? Or I see Eternity Medicine here. Yeah, Eternity Medicine is the bigger sort of company, which is in a couple of different countries. Yeah, so that's also in the UAE. Yeah. So today we're going to learn more about his work and he is an MD using paleo-keto approach. We actually want to know how much of it is paleo and how much of it is keto. So tell us more about your background and just take us down this rabbit hole of like your work. Well, first of all, I've been practicing for about 40 years. So I've been doing this a long time. I originally uh, finished medical school in South Africa and then went to England and to the United States. So I'm boarded it in several specialties. I'm boarded in emergency medicine, internal medicine, anti-aging medicine, and I've done a lot of alternative things and homeopathy, acupuncture, and many other alternative things. The last 20 years has really been focused on a more proactive approach because 80% of what we see in disease today is coming from basically self-induced disease, often due to the Western diet. The standard American diet or SAD diet is a huge problem. So many of the chronic diseases we see today can be easily remedied by a few lifestyle changes. And that's really, my focus is to try and turn on lots of younger doctors in different countries to move towards a more proactive health approach. So that's actually what uh, drew Michelle to you. Do you have anything yeah. to say about like what drew you to exactly? Because you wanted to be a health coach under him. And... Yeah, so I've just started working with um, Dr. Graham. And I think we'll talk about um, the project that we're working on um, a bit later. But we kind of wanted to um, dive into some of the questions in relation to people who are diabetic and more specifically taking people off their medication because that's quite controversial. And we just wanted to ask you about that, that process. And then also... So two things, why it's not more prevalent to, say, prescribe a keto diet to people who are diabetic or pre-diabetic. And then also, if you could talk about the mechanism through which um, exogenous insulin is actually not a great approach to treating people with diabetes. Yeah, type yeah. 2 specifically. specifically. Yeah. Okay, there's a lot of good questions. So let me start <laughs> one by one. First of all, let's separate out between type 1 and type 2. Okay. Type 1 is usually when the pancreas has no insulin and these individuals, which constitute about 5% of diabetic, need insulin on a regular basis. I think what we're going to talk about here today is the other 95% on type 2 diabetes. So I'll give you a good example. There was a gentleman just the day before yesterday who's a local Emirati and actually not my patient, Dr. Seftalina's patient, but she brought him in to chat to us about things. And very interestingly, he had a hemoglobin A1C, which is your sugar count. It should be under 5.5. His was about 11.6. And so he was a severe diabetic type two and was on insulin and a number of different oral hypoglycemic agents. and finally got so fed up because he wasn't getting better he just got more and more medicine just before ramadan a few months ago four or five months ago he decided he came across a 
Dr. Jason Fung's book, who wrote The Obesity Code and The Diabetic Code. He didn't get the first one, he got the second one, which was about diabetes. And he decided to basically stop all his medicines by himself, which I'm not sure is the exact correct thing to do. But interestingly, he went on a keto diet and intermittent fasting, and obviously it was during Ramadan, and he basically was testing his own sugar finger prick and ketone level. And basically, when we saw him two days ago, he had basically come down, his A1C was 4.5. He was on no insulin, no drugs. He lost 26 kilos. And it basically cured himself. So we have been seeing over the last couple of years tremendous results with the ketogenic diet. You have to remember keto, let's talk about what a ketogenic and a paleo diet is just to clue everyone in as to what they are. So the paleo diet is essentially, if you look at the macronutrients, because there's obviously all food comes from protein, carbs, and fat, everything's made of those three. So if you look at the macronutrient intake of people eating a paleo diet, it's roughly a third fat, a third protein, and a third carbs. The keto diet is different because a well-formulated keto diet is a high-fat, moderate protein, low-carb, so 70% fat, 20% protein, 10% carbs. So you might say, well, what about all this fat? Doesn't it push up your cholesterol and don't you get heart disease? from No. In fact, saturated fat and cholesterol has absolutely nothing to do with heart disease, and unfortunately, the majority of doctors here and elsewhere believe that that's the problem. But I have very good evidence, and it's not my evidence, it's some of the best published data in the world. We have always been, as Paleolithic people, we have probably for two and a half million years, our major fuel source has been fat. So we only started eating grains 10,000 years ago in the Nile Valley. So all these grains that people are now consuming and obviously we didn't have all this processed food until about 30, 40 years ago. So what, what is killing everyone now? It's, it's diabetes and pre-diabetes. America is, as published in the JAMA, Journal of the Medical Medical Association, in September of 2015, 53% of Americans are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. This is just, to me, it's amazing. Here in the Middle East, I would say, first of all, five of the fattest countries in the world are here in the Middle East. Qatar happens to be the fattest. Yeah. But essentially, I would say that the prevalence of diabetes and pre-diabetes here is probably closer to 65%. And in India, where half the people are so-called vegetarians, they're not really vegetarians, they're grainarians, I would say probably 70% of Indians are actually diabetic or pre-diabetic. So we have a, a huge problem. One in two children born today will have diabetes. So... You know, I think we, we know that medications, and it's really you had to ask the important question, I think, uh, Michelle, about, you know, what about insulin for type mm. 2 diabetics? You have mm. to understand the problem in type 2 diabetics as opposed to type 1 who don't have any insulin. Type 2 diabetics have too much insulin. Why? Because of the high carbohydrates, grains, you know, sugars, a lot of bad vegetable oils, polyunsaturated fatty acids, these things. So the point is giving more insulin, and by the way, 30% or more of the insulin given here in the country is, in most countries, 
is given to type 2 diabetics, you make them a lot worse. There's a 28% increase in morbidity and mortality when type 2 diabetics have insulin. So it's really, in my book, it's malpractice to give insulin to type 2 diabetics. That's so interesting because actually everything you mentioned is in my family. We have obesity, we have type 2 diabetes, and I have those same genes, but I'm just not. Genes is 15%. Genes is 15%. Exactly. So I really do like feel like this is so important, yet there's so much misinformation out there. Mm. And I feel like I have a lot, I come from a family of doctors, and it's still low fat and it's still like all that stuff. So, how do you deal with being an MD and being, you know, around that mentality? And how do you kind of. You know, because your patients probably get second opinions and the other doctor probably calls you a quack, you know? Like, how do you deal with this stuff? (laughs) So, first of all, I'm pretty thick-skinned at this point because I've been practicing for 40 years. But look, you know what? The truth is finally coming out. You know, Ansel Keys in 1977 came up with this idea of the diet-heart hypothesis where cholesterol was supposedly, the fat was what did us in. And the truth is, all this, for the last several decades, all this information about cholesterol and saturated fats. I mean, two weeks ago, there was some ex-president of the American Heart Association who said that coconut oil is poison. Mm, well, yeah. Yeah. We were so pissed. Because yeah. people were sending us that, being like defended. Exactly. I was like, I don't even want to defend you, it. I, I will defend it 100%. Baseline. First of all, you have to understand that's saturated fat. And there is no evidence. I have very good articles from the top people in the world that saturated fat and cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, is absolutely nothing to do with heart disease. Unfortunately, faulty science by Keys, plus vested interest. Big the pharma, business of keeping mm-hmm. people sick, like big we were pharma, talking about this. Yeah. Big pharma, big food, mm-hmm. uh, and vendors of all these medical devices. I mean, it's an absolute shame. And there are literally trillions of dollars going down you know, the toilet in a way that is just nuts. I mean, things, the evidence is out now. Even the, the conservative body nutritionists in the in the United States have taken cholesterol off the danger list. You know, you used to only could eat 300 milligrams of cholesterol a day and they've realized that cholesterol is totally harmless. I want to just jump in because yeah. this is actually one of my questions. And, um, you know, we were talking... Uh, amongst ourselves as well about blood markers and doctors and LDL and um, L- there's a reason people don't people think like LDL oh it's bad I mean no there's a reason you have it in your body it's serving a function um, a lot of people I'm not keto but a lot of people who do go on keto their LDL suddenly goes higher simply because they're in fat burning mode and you know the LDL is doing its job it's working on removing the fat from the blood and all that so give us a statement on context of blood markers because you have a grain-fed person their high ldl is not the same as yeah the same ldl on a keto diet okay so let's talk about blood markers the, the typical lipid test that most people here get to hear in the uae first of all you know hdl just for everyone out there easy to remember h is healthy cholesterol LDL is the lousy cholesterol, which is what you've been talking about. So, and then there's obviously the other blood fat important is triglycerides, which actually happen to be six times more predictive of heart disease than cholesterol. So let's look at these things. First of all, HDL is generally good because it's taking oxidized LDL back into the liver to either get eliminated or recycled. So we know that's good to have. 
the LDL is not one type. It's not necessarily the bad cholesterol. There's subtypes of LDL, and it's very important to know. Just to put it in simple terms, LDL can either be like little cricket balls or baseballs, small little dense hard cholesterols, or they can be big fluffy beach balls. So those are two very different LDLs, and it actually turns out your LDL particle number, which unfortunately can't be measured here, it's a nuclear magnetic resonant test that should be done in Europe and the States, but it's coming here. But there are surrogate markers like APOB, which is a, a lipoprotein marker here, which is a little more sophisticated, but that's freely available. And you can actually see if your LDL is either the small dense things which are not good because they get into your endothelium. The endothelium is the lining of all your blood vessels and you and I have got 50,000 miles of blood vessels in our bodies. So when you have big beach balls, they are harmless, they don't hurt you. Now let me just get back to your thing about keto because a common question to me is, well, if I've got a high cholesterol, why should I be eating 70% fat diet with keto because then it's going to make me worse? No, the truth is this. Jeff Volek, who's one of the best keto guys in the world from Ohio State University, fed saturated fats, doubled it, and then tripled the amount of saturated fats to groups of people, and there's no increase in the LDL. But as soon as you add carbohydrates, the carbohydrates push triglycerides, triglycerides push the VLDL, which is the very low-density lipoprotein, which are very atherogenic, and triglycerides, as I mentioned, are six times more common. And that fat is coming from carbohydrates. In fact, even your LDL, because LDL comes from VLDL when it shrinks, and the main thing that VLDL does is carry 80% of it is triglyceride. So in fact, even your cholesterol, in addition to the triglyceride, is all coming from carbohydrates. It is the carbohydrates that is killing everyone worldwide. And it's carbohydrates which is actually causing this tremendous diabetes epidemic that is now global. Half the world's population now has insulin resistance. And it's absolutely nuts because it can be easily reversed. But not by going to your local doctor, unfortunately, and I don't mind saying that, not by going to follow the American Diabetic Association's nonsense recommendations. Or by, and where are these people? Where is it all coming from? From drug companies. This is all vested interest. And, you know, everyone's happy making lots of money, seeing six people, giving lots of drugs. Governments now in the, like the United States, they support soybean, corn, the Green Grains, Cartel. Wheat, I call them the Green Cartel. The Green Cartel. Yeah. He's, this is nuts. They are actually helping to cause this epidemic, uh, you know, across the world. And That's it's sad. actually the Western diet from America and from Ansel Keys and the U.S. Guide, dietary guidelines from 1980, which is such nonsense. You know, the so-called food pyramid. But by the way, right out here in Elaine at the local... Alain Swedish run diabetic center oh. they've got these nice big food pyramids stuck on the wall in their nutritional things and I asked the nutritionist there what do you feed people oh everyone needs at least six or eight you know mm. grains of food in the morning I mean it's absolutely nonsense I mean you're going to eat all this bread and stuff you're going to die early it's as simple as that yeah I think if people can look at the history of how Ansel Keys and these people kind of came up with that hypothesis there's a lot of um 
holes in the argument and there, there was also still a lot of heart disease at the time that they felt they needed to blame on something and as i think human nature is we like to blame one thing so sort of there was this fury of the scurry of okay i need to find something to blame we'll blame fat that will be um, and if we look at all the studies actually all the studies that have actually like their junk data everything about meat and fat because if the, you look at the mice they were using or the people they were looking at they're fed you know the mice were fed soy grains and sugar also the people were eating were meat eaters that were eating their meat with a bun and a soda and like it wasn't mm -hmm. the way their consumption was is just mm -hmm. creating a context of poor biochemistry period I mean, so, it's very interesting to see how Ansel Keys and this whole 1980 dietary guidelines came about because it was President Eisenhower who had a heart attack. Yeah, that's what I was that's referring where it all to. Started yeah. to. And they needed to point the blame. They needed to try and mm -hmm. come up with something. So then Ansel Keys, you know, he did this 22 country study, but very conveniently he left out 15 countries, like for instance France. They eat a high fat diet and no one has heart disease. Mm -hmm. So he only cherry picked. The, the different countries, which then was whittled down to the seven country studies. And in fact, when you look, and he made no distinction between refined and complex carbohydrates. And in fact, when, when the Italian researchers who did the initial studies with, with, with that went back and looked at the data, sugar was by far the bigger association rather than cholesterol. So this is where, and this is what people have been following, and obviously the sugar industry and big pharma with all their statins, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's the biggest scam in the history of medicine. And I don't mind saying that, now, you know, I mean, we the want point you to is, say that. Yeah. <laughs> the point is, it's 142 side effects with taking Lipitor and Crestor and all these good things. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that it's ever been proven that you can increase the life of a woman by one day by taking these statins. And it's crazy. I think just as Lamis was saying, it's unfortunate that a lot of animal products are often associated with a burger and, okay, French fries and hydrogenated oil and the bun and the mm. yeah. soda and, it, and, you know, when... And the meat, quality of meat also. The quality, like, yeah. And the soy grain, grain, and also yeah. Grain grain fed, fed, yeah, and grain fillers fed, and yeah. soy. Like, there's yeah. more soy in some of these burgers than actual yeah, meat. Exactly. Yeah. And these documentaries, like Cowspiracy and What the Hell. Oh, God, that are, was like... A, I call it a vegan Disney movie. Yeah, it's because... not even... Like, they, so much of it is... But that's what they focus yeah. on. They focus on meat animal product eating in the context of the sad diet rather than but he actually didn't focus on actual like a lot of the facts he cherry-picked as well as we say mm -hmm. because that's it's interesting because i actually do research as well and you know there's we know so much about how important it is to have integrity and get third parties and do all that but like these people are presenting these cases pretty much framed already within what they want to say yes exactly yeah and actually like one of the things he mentioned about um cattle farming being like it's responsible for over 50 percent of greenhouse gases taking that from the un that actually was debunked right after by uh the american association of chemists realizing it's below five percent actually mm -hmm. and uh the way they were also looking at transport was not in a very fair way they were only looking at um fuel emissions they were not looking at the entire way of mm -hmm. um production and industrialized yeah. like they were and also actually the majority of uh greenhouse gases from industrial farming i'm not pro-industrial farming but the fact is most of it is coming from the grain yeah. that is actually being used fed. to feed the so cows. It's, a, it's a it's a poor system we actually will have a big meat myths episode 
that yeah. I can't wait to do with you. So we'll go there. No, but, I think your you point know. is well taken about you know cherry picking things yeah. because I think getting back to the coconut oil thing, which was a big issue. I also got lots of emails from people. So annoying. You know, yeah. But the interesting thing is the the guy who was writing about it, the ex president of the American Art Association, is also a vegan. Number one, so you know his inclination. Number two is he quoted 17 supposed study studies since 1980 that were all low carb keto well, keto diets. Well, the truth is that not a single of those 17 studies he cited was actually keto. Some of them were just a 10% lowering of the carbohydrate and they were absolutely not keto, well formulated keto diet. So here is total misrepresentation and I saw he got several million hits about coconut oil, you know, being poison for you, which is absolute nonsense. So, you know, it's to your point, though, cherry picking these kinds of things. So just to continue with what you were saying, because we spoke a lot about keto. And um, even when you spoke about paleo, you kind of looked at it more from a macro, like macros is how you kind of explained it. I, you know, we would probably go way deeper. Mm. But uh, for the sake of time, what do you think about modern keto? If you're not just looking at the macros, but there are a lot of processed foods entering kind of like these bars and all these things. I don't like them at all. What about, yeah, because gut inflammation, you can be losing weight, but what about the gut inflammation? What about like all that stuff? Look, many of these bars, many of Mm -hmm. these bars, exactly what you're saying, Michelle, they've got Mm -hmm. like erythritol, which is supposedly good. And then they have the favorites of agave, you Mm -hmm. know, the stuff. But the truth is that many of these bars are not very healthy for you. And I'm very down anything processed that man touches we want to try and avoid in a way so I'm not for a moment suggesting that we load up with a lot of these processed so you are a paleo keto approach like real food absolutely it has to be real food yeah absolutely great and you know to that point Tim Noakes uh, you know who's a South African guy who wrote the forward to my book the the metabolic miracle. Tim actually wrote a great book, and his first book that was very popular in South Africa was called The Real Meal Revolution because he was only saying, Look, you have to eat, you know, real food, not these processed food. And then his recent book on the law of nutrition is very interesting because he had to go up against the dietary nutritionists in South Africa who tried to take him to court. And I mean, in the old days, he would have been burnt at the stake. But, you know, he went through a three-year and three-month legal battle. And many of the endocrinologists and cardiovascular guys who've got, again, a lot of self-interest at heart, were very down on him. But obviously, he was acquitted. And, you know, he had some of the best testimony from people around the world that came to his aid. But it shows you, you know, you're saying, what happens if someone calls you a quack? Well, that's exactly what they did to Prof. Noakes, who happens to be the best single researcher in the whole of South Africa. So these are the things that, you know, will slowly, hopefully, um, sort of pave a new pathway for for decent health Mm. in the years ahead. And do you think the keto diet is sustainable to continue on it for years or do you see it as more of a therapy for people who are diabetic and then they move more onto a paleo-type maintenance? No, it's a great question. Look, first of all, is a keto diet sustainable over 10 years, a decade mm-hmm. or more? Yes, absolutely it is. Number two, what are my personal feelings? I think if you're fat and diabetic that or have any kind of heart disease, I think a lot of autoimmune disease, you know, Alzheimer's now type 3 diabetes, I mean, all these kinds of things, I think the keto diet 
is the way to start to reverse things. And it's a little more stringent because you're trying to not consume more than 50 grams of carbs a day. Mm -hmm. And then exactly what you're saying, as you get better, like this gentleman I mentioned earlier, the local Emirati, who's lost 24 kilos, and his A1C is normal, better than normal. So can he eat another 50 grams of carbs a day? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, he's already figured out, you know, what bumps his sugars and what doesn't bump sugar. For instance, you should stop without any doubt. I would not suggest you go and have a Coca-Cola because that's 11 teaspoons of sugar in one 12-ounce can. Even fresh orange juice, 7 teaspoons. So you have to cut down a lot of these liquid carbs and things. But can you eat then a more sensible, expanded sort of paleo diet? Absolutely you can, yeah. So we have a listener question that I kind of know this lady a bit. She's not overweight. She's not obese. She's not uh, diabetic. But like many Emiratis, because we were talking about Instagram food culture and how a lot of it is pretty now especially now you're in Jumeirah you can see like all the other restaurants and how they prepare their menu they're all beautiful foods but it's a lot of sugar and sauce and like fillers and all that stuff and this has become like such a culture almost here in Dubai it's like a new cult millennial culture and she just wants to know what are your tips for this average non-keto non-paleo person to break this addiction to sugar because Every time she's eating out, out, it's always sugar. Like there's sugar in everything. If she wanted to cut back, what are your tips? I know my tips, but mm -hmm. they're going to be just like tough love. So what's yours? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, look, just as a point in reference, you know, in the 1700s in London, the average man or woman ate five pounds of sugar per year. And then in the 1970s, when a very good guy called John Yatkin who was one of the first people to point out that sugar is the real cause of heart disease. Um, he had noticed that in the 70s, the average UK, and where they've got the best um, science of measurements of sugars, had gone up to 100 pounds of sugar. Here in the UAE, most of the people are still eating over 150 pounds of sugar per year. So is it surprising that everyone has got diabetes and, you know, this type of thing? So getting to your question. Inflammation as well, like yeah. even if it's not. What causes mm -hmm. the inflammation is the sugar in the diet mm -hmm. and grains and too many vegetable oils. Those are the three big things that are killing everyone. So to your question, you know, what do I suggest? Look, first of all, sugar is incredibly addicting and it goes to the same dopamine receptors as heroin and cocaine. So, you know, when people are on this roller coaster of needing a sugar fix on a regular basis. That's why it's so difficult for people to cut down on that. But just a few things. Number one, obviously the, the typical high sugary things are these liquid carbs. You have to stop, you know, these, um, these Cokes and shakes <laughs> and all this type of thing. I mean- Even fruit juice. Fruit juice mm -hmm. you should drink. I'm, I'm a drinker. I'm guilty of cold pressed juice, but I think I also don't like I you know I do it if I had a workout or I just kind of want to hydrate mm -hmm. with some sugar as well. You will completely disagree, but I also am not obese, so I think no, well, I can take. We it. haven't measured you yet, so yeah, you know, there's, there's such fat. a thing called skinny fat, right? Oh my god! So, yeah. We're talking yeah. about this. She I'm like, like I'm scared because actually we're gonna put you on a scale right now and measure you. I was yeah because actually yeah. I was not like proper paleo for two years. This is my first month of a paleo reboot. Yeah. 
um, and I feel the difference, like yeah. in every like by, mind, body, and soul. So, so let's put me on that scale when, I'm, when I know I'm gonna get a good. Grade. I think I think also yeah. you know it's all very well talking about cokes and things, but also diet cokes and things mm-hmm. like that. You know these. Artificial sweeteners are particularly bad, not because they're high in calories, but because they hurt your bugs in your gut. And we know the microbiome is a very important part of being healthy. So, you know, people should also watch that you you can't just switch from drinking Coca-Cola to Diet Coke or something. It's not not good. So I think that's one. Number two is bread. I think bread is incredibly addicting. And all of us know, you know, I'm a I'm a rehabilitated or rehabilitating mm. carb junkie so you know I know how difficult it is and you're, you're lucky if you've got gluten intolerance you know that's a big one nowadays a lot of people have figured out that gluten intolerance from the bread so you're lucky if you've got gluten intolerance because then you don't eat the bread and all the kind of other gluten things so you know there you have to be mindful you know and people sometimes get confused like you know eating a banana a banana is 20 grams of carbs it's like a chocolate bar so certain tropical fruits, to your advice here, people should be very careful about bananas, mangoes, dates. Date is like a, sh- a sugar bomb. And, you know, if you're eating one or two dates, great. But mm-hmm. if you're eating, you know, a handful every day, not good. Do you think it's also like contextual in terms of ancestral eating? Because I've noticed that I can really handle dates, but someone who isn't from here will have their blood sugar like all over the place and react to that. Or is it just maybe because of my... Like, because I do intermittent fasting as well, and like there are other things in the play. Those are the things. Those are the things. Listen, you know, a date is a date, and uh, unfortunately, (laughs) no. But I think also there's. I know um, someone who can have dates. Like he'll be okay eating dates, but not eating, say, honey. And no, I thought maybe true. it's that the, the you know the, the, the it's, yeah. it's locked in the fibers and it's slower release than just eating a spoon of maple the, syrup or honey. You know, recently there was a TED talk which was really good, and um, the guy had measured fifty thousand meals with continuous sugar monitoring, and it was very interesting what he said. Look, obviously the the normal offenders like cokes and pizzas and grains and all this thing were there, but. It was also true, just like Michelle was saying, that some of these people, if you ate a, you know, a thing a quart of Haagen-Dazs ice cream, your blood sugar and insulin might not go up much. But you know, if I ate it, it could have a severe mm. effect. So there is maybe some truth in that. But I think over across the board, we know it's the, it's the, you know, it's the grains, the sugar, and essentially also these vegetable oils. You do not want to cook except with Butter, ghee, beef fat, or coconut oil. You don't want any canola. High smoking points. All these, yeah, the high smoke points. Very important. So, you know, I'm sure you do a lot of good things. So, a couple of dates for you are not going to make a big deal. But, you know, if you did a lot of the other bad things, um, you know, that would compound the problem. But there is some individuality with the type of specific foods. And also, as you said, I remember you telling me a story about how when you were stressed, for example, your sugar was much higher. So absolutely, the other variables in your lifestyle at the time could really I think sleep is very important. You know, one night of missleep will bump your insulin. And we know that the fattest clients and patients across different centers that we run, the fattest patients are the ones who don't sleep well. 
So you need a good seven hours of sleep. Mm. So sleep is also <laughs> critical. I'm like, I'm sleep deck right now. Yeah. I'm between, like, yeah, I'm in a heavy work uh, time. Mud. We're still mm. doing this, so it's okay. Before we go into the other points like IAF, I think as you mo- talked about monitoring, uh, she Michelle was telling me about a very interesting app. Are you ready to talk about it? Yeah, or do you wanna... yeah. no, no, no. Look, yeah. I think, you know, I'll tell you one of the things I've been very impressed with is the so-called continuous sugar monitor. If you want to change behavior, you change the person's thinking a bit. So the typical thing, if Michelle was fat and diabetic, fortunately she's not, she's very healthy, but if she came to see me, I'd say to her, look, I'd like to put this little disc on your arm and it stays on for two weeks and it's going to measure your sugar every 15 minutes, 96 times a day for the next two weeks. And I want you to keep a little food log. So when you eat, I can, because it's all timed, so I can see what's happening to your sugar. And I tell Michelle, look, don't change your medicines if you're on insulin, don't change your oral hyperglycemics or anything. Just, we're just going to record you come back in four days so Michelle would come back and I'd have these beautiful tracings because we can take from that little monitor little sensor it's the size of a you know one durham or dollar you know okay, tiny like little a thing coin. like a little coin mm-hmm. yeah and we'd get beautiful readings and you can see where her sugars are and then I'd say okay Michelle we're going to put you on a keto diet and these green sheets that I'm giving you you can eat pretty much freely what you want and come back again in another five days or so. We have to take it off at the end of two weeks. So most of the time I am shocked that these sugars from running three, 400, they come down to normal in 24 to 48 hours. I am absolutely mind blown to see it. Now, the client, Michelle, when she looks at me, she's, oh my goodness, I had, this is where I had my Coke and a big shawarma or something. And look what happened to my blood sugar, it shot up and then when she comes back and she's eating nice and clean and she sees all her sugars now completely normal. And then we can usually get people off their drugs within weeks. And in fact, in the study from Verta, most type two diabetics were cured within two months. Cured, not managed. Because mm-hmm. you know, one of the big problems with diabetes, you go to any doctor here in town, they say, oh, I'm sorry, look, Michelle, you've got diabetes, and yeah, we can manage it for you, but we can't cure you. And you know, if you're not careful, do what I tell you, take all these drugs, you're going to get, you know, your eyes are going to go, your kidneys are going to go, your heart's going to have a heart attack, your brain's going to, you know, and yes, all those bad things happen to you unless you fix the diet. You cannot fix type 2 diabetes with anything, it's dietary cause, and the remedy is the diet. No drug will ever help you. It's very effective when I show that to Michelle and the client sees it, patient sees it, oh my God, I didn't realize when I, when I actually behave myself, I eat these foods, uh, first of all, I'm feeling better and my sugars are all normal and then you take them off the drugs, they feel even better still. That's what needs to happen. It needs to happen here in the Middle East in a big way and we have to get some support from the government people and the evidence is there. And I think I need to take some local Emiratis. Why would they believe an expat like me? They don't have to. I can bring them the good science and clients that have done it for themselves very inexpensively and safely. So that's what really has to happen. Well, we really want to push this message as well and hopefully get more people looking at this because I really liked what you said about this idea of disease not being a sentence, it's really just variables that we need to adjust. And this is 
you know, the whole thing, the other aspect of medication, pure medication, not doing anything else, is really just saying, okay, stay under that umbrella of this yeah, disease and yeah. we'll help you hold it. Absolutely. So, yeah. And you know, your, your point earlier, you know, I don't care if your father and mother have diabetes. Yes, you're more at risk, absolutely. If one or both have them, you're even more at risk. But that's only 15%. Yeah. 85% is what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. My parents are fine, just to be clear. It's just so like the general... But it's interesting because yeah. you see... And I feel like also... It's interesting because as the times, if you look at the Emiratis before, but they didn't have healthcare and didn't have anything. Absolutely. And they were not, I mean, starvation was an issue, obviously, and people got sick or died from childbirth or these things. But, um, and also we know that, of course, maybe they did have these diseases, they just didn't know what they were and they just died. But there's so many things now happening that um, you can see because Emiratis are all from the same pool of people so we're kind of like a study on this area and i can see the same diseases coming up in us as emiratis and i'm like we're just i can show you i variable. can show you a book which is a classic book you can buy it here at the dubai mall bookstore it was done by an englishman who, who was in love with the gulf and he took all these beautiful pictures of emiratis and other you know groups here in the middle east man you can't find one fat they were ripped they were absolutely, they looked like pinning warriors. No, because they would swim and they would... Not only that, you know what, they don't see their... I, I know I have patients they, who, when I talk to yeah. some of my older Emirati patients, they say, you know, Graham, we used to walk to Charger, we used to walk here, or we used to walk, you know, five miles to see my friend, ten miles over here, and I'd go in the afternoon, morning, mm -hmm. and what did they eat? They yeah. ate natural but things. The there were no pizzas. Ripped, yeah. Exactly, there were no pizzas, no Coca-Colas, none of this crazy chocolate stuff and everything else. They ate, what did they eat? They ate some fruit, they ate some vegetables, they ate some dates, they ate some fish, camel milk, some goats. These were healthy things. And that's why no one was fat. But I'll add to that because a lot of people will be like, oh, but we eat Emirati foods and it's all sugar and it's all... The thing is, those grain-filled foods were like... They felt like royalty when they had them because they had them maybe once every few years. like a condiment. We're like, we got... condiment. wasn't the mainstay Flour was not accessible. We don't have agriculture here. So they would exactly. bring that from India or something, and that would be like something they would like a treat. Yeah, and they would make this, and it, you know, it was all about dried fish. Yeah, it was barely had access to like these things were very important. My grandmother actually went through starvation where they were only eating like two dates a day mm -hmm. for that point, and she thought she was going to mm -hmm. die. And it was crazy the things they went through. Yeah, but it's not food scarcity accessibility. anymore. It's overabundance. Yeah, yeah. there's just abundance of abundance. choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think, going back to the app, do you think that that's the future of healthcare? That's more... I think we have to go directly to the consumer. Yeah, I, that's what I, I actually think, to be honest, and I hate to say this on your mm. podcast. You can but, say it. But let, let me know what it is. <laughs> it's okay. You can edit it. it later. If we hate it, we, we will. But uh, truthfully, the random person now going to a random doctor, I think he's going to be made worse 50% of the time. I'm sad to say that. I agree that. with you. I'm really just sad to say that. But... I think there's, there's truth in it and you have to choose I think your doctor carefully and you know I, I think you have to rely look we've been around for two and a half million years modern medicine's a hundred years old so I'll put my faith in in a you know in the bigger bigger scheme mm -hmm. of things rather than in just a, a bunch of drugs being peddled by these guys but even not even just going straight to the consumer, but the idea of monitoring from home and I think, preventing no, disease absolutely. before. Listen, I think, look, and yeah. I was just telling you about the first start with the contents because then mm -hmm. we hooked them up with an actual app. 
that they have on the phone. And we will track everything from sleep to your grams of carbs, mm. to your body fat, to your blood sugar, to your acet you know, your ketone levels, your beta hydroxybutyrate. We can track everything. We can actually take all the stuff, say, from my fitness pal, which a lot of people have. So you can now we if you take a picture of your food, it all automatically will integrate into our app. So you can actually see how many grams of carbs and things you're eating. And forget about fat. You, I wouldn't even measure the fat. And we don't. I mean, we do measure it, but it's not important to us. The important thing is the carbs. And the other thing is too much protein. That's the other thing. Too much protein will get converted into sugar. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to be a little careful with that because some people think, well, you can eat as much proteins as you can. You can mm-hmm. eat as much fat as you can because fat will not bump your insulin. Too much protein plus the carbs will bump your insulin. So, Michelle, to your point, I think that the future of medicine is going to be this. Because unless you're feeding back and a person can see what's happening, you know, how many steps they're doing, how many hours of sleep they're doing, you know, what am I putting into my body, the fuel in my body and all this type of thing. I think this is it's going to be automatic. And these sensors mm-hmm. are getting more and more sophisticated and things. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, people now can... And instead of putting a little contact lens in your eye, you put a contact lens in, but it's measuring your sugar in your eyeball. And I mean, it's it's just automatic loading onto your phone all the time. So I, I think the smartphone and some of the this exponential growth of technology will, will change how we do healthcare. In fact, this guy uh, who wrote The Wheat Belly, um, Dr. Perlmutter? No, no, that's David oh, that's, Perlmutter. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, the Grain Brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's the Grain Brain, but it's a good yeah. one as well. I love that. But, um, yeah. you know, he, he wrote a book called Undoctored, where he's talking about, you know, maybe lots of clinics and hospitals actually, you know, closing mm-hmm. and more and more going to, you know, the app and things to the consumer at home. Many of the people that I, I see, you know, well-educated people, they... They know more than most doctors know about nutrition and diet. Yeah. And I mean, it's a crying shame. I mean, it, and people it should be empowered themselves. Absolutely, and I I think I and think I do I do believe what you're talking about. This technology mm. is going to democratize healthcare. So I think this will democratize. We can really democratize healthcare. Yeah. And you know, also for people who are not wealthy. I mean, they can't afford. You know, our wealthy guys come in here. They can spend a few thousand dirhams, no problem. But many people don't have that luxury. So I think there's a yeah. huge opportunity to help people. And I tell you again, and you've heard me say this before, the most important people are not us doctors or the hospital. It's the mothers in the kitchen. Some shaker lady has to educate. You might be that lady. The old lady. You, you <laughs> have to, you have to One day. turn on. I'm already that. Though. You have to know. turn on the mothers in the kitchens because that they hold the key to the healthcare of their whole family, themselves, their kids, their husbands. And that's I freak people out though because I was telling her um, I do I do a bulletproof matcha because I've quit coffee and they are like my butter smoothie is something that freaks them out. I'm sure. So because sure. I think they've also been programmed with the idea of fat, fat is going to kill you. Yeah. yeah, and they're not uneducated yeah. people. I actually come from a family of doctors, yeah. radiologists, hematologists. They're the worst. <laughs> That's I mean, the problem. That's who's brain. You guys are the worst. <laughs> My family don't listen to this, but they know they're the worst. (laughs) Listen, that's what you have to do. You have to find a champion who's going to really turn on the moms. And that's where you can help a lot, Michelle, as well. You know, just good education about what's in the pantry, you know, going out to the, the shopping in the supermarkets. There's lots of good stuff, but you know, sixty thousand items are in the average you know, spinnies or waitros or anything. But 
most of those, there's probably 55,000 of them you don't want to eat, but there's plenty, there's 5,000 you do want to eat. So you, you have to separate that out a bit. So. Yeah, it's and people, I think, are quite desperate for another solution. And, and yeah. it's just there's so much conflicting information and so much information out there. And, you know, as we said, people write to us on Instagram, but I have a friend um, who's a doctor in LA and he says that he gets a lot of patients who come in who have, say, diabetes or cancer, and they've gone across the border to Mexico to get really odd treatments yeah. like IV, yeah, vitamin yeah, C or yeah, something, yeah. because they're just desperate yeah. and they don't yeah. know where. And like you said, it's expensive and they, they want to take matters into their own hands, but yeah. then they're misinformed and it actually makes the situation worse. And But I mean, you mentioned cancer. Cancer is always a little scary for people. Mm. But I mean, we also know that people who are, are obese are 10 times more likely to get yeah. cancer. And we've known since the 30s, since Otto Warburg, that the main nutrient for cancer is sugar. So, I mean, the best way to prevent cancer is mm, a, a yeah. kind of a keto. Now, interestingly, yeah. people are using keto. There's a very good guy, uh, Thomas Seifert, who is treating very advanced glioblastomas, which is, usually kills you in a few months. But he's using keto diet very effectively. And there's a guy called uh, Slocum. Abdul Slocum, is it Abdul? Anyway, Slocum is his last name in Istanbul. He's treating stage 3 and 4 cancer patients with very little chemotherapy and mostly nutrition plus the, the keto diet. Abdul Slocum, I think, yeah, Abdul Slocum is his name. But uh, so look, these things are happening, and I think the Verta Group, who's done this amazing study you know, in San Francisco that was published early this year, and the other thing is they published three papers since their first study about showing the the curing of 65% of diabetics. The average client during that study lost 30 pounds and they've now been following them nearly two years. And the other amazing thing is they looked at 26 risk factors for heart disease and 22 out of the 26 risk factors disappeared. Most of these people also lost their fatty liver disease. Half of, half the Gulf here is fatty liver disease. And it's amazing, a keto diet can reverse fat in, your, in the fatty liver disease nearly 30% of the fat in one week. I mean, it's amazing how quickly the body, you know, gets better with a little bit of help. So how do we, edu how do we educate your doctor, family, doctor? My family, actually. You have to get them in a room and, and rebrain them. You can. Them. Um, honestly, I'm scared of them, so you can do that yourself. Uh, I'm legit, I'm not even joking. I am scared of them. But uh, the thing is, actually, I lost my mom, who was a radiologist, to cancer, and I really believe I did not lose her to cancer. I think I believe that I lost her to the cancer therapy. Yeah. So, um, but you know, it's very hard because you have to really respect the person, yeah, what yeah. they choose, and you can't stress them. And she was not obese; she was skinny, like yeah. she was really skinny, and she was actually relatively healthy. But um, I also think she had different factors. She was one of the mm. actually the first female radiologist in the UAE, and they did not have good protection at that time. Mm. And she was uh, probably exposed to Yeah, them all of her um, yeah. group, and I don't know if it's okay for me to say this, all of them got weird cancers. All of them. Like weird cancers, because she had carcinosarcoma. Mm. And that's tough. Because, you know, you're doing chemo, but will it really react mm. anyway? You know, and um, she couldn't eat at that point at the mm. end. And I know she, her nutrition, she was not strong enough. Mm. And no, the death really was caused by, you know, like the, just, the tissues just yeah. breaking down. Yeah. And it was, this was years ago. I mean, it's one of, it's, it's really traumatic to be in that, but it's traumatic to also be around the medical doctors and what they have to say and just my gut instinct being so against what they're saying, but I have to like love this person and take her to radiation every day. And 
it's it's tough. Um, I, that's why I, I really am happy that you spoke about uh, different options for cancer patients in the keto diet. And if you want to talk more about it, I, I feel like it's almost a duty for me to be like, you please do. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think, look, cancer is always a little tricky, but I think, you know, nowadays you can also do this liquid biopsy, which has come into its own now because most solid cancers, which is most of what kills us, you know, breast cancer, uterine, pancreas, gut, you know, bowel, you know, lung cancer, these can all be screened for with a yearly 10 cc's of blood, one little tube of blood. You can see if there's mutations that are happening. If there's a lot of inflammation, most doctors now understand, I think a lot of researchers understand that inflammation is actually the prodrome for the cancer taking place because with the inflammation in the body, the genome becomes more and more unstable. And once you go through five mutations or so, where the genome is under a lot of stress, you're on your way to getting a cancer. But you can now pick up cancer before you can pick it up on a PET scan or any kind of imaging. You can actually see it with tumor cells in the actual blood. So I think the future of this is going to be also when you find that, and if you put a person on an anti-inflammatory diet, because there's no cancer to treat yet, there's nothing that they can hold. Because look, if you get a little tiny, like a fingernail, you know, it takes about 10 years for the cancer to get that big. So there's a huge, we like to call this primordial cancer prevention. You can actually prevent this mostly with detox and diet and actually stop that mutation. Once that mutation is stable, you don't have to, you know, go on to cancer therapies and things. I have one question about keto for women specifically, because there's some, there are some, well, I suppose keto and intermittent fasting are often used together as a protocol, and there are some women who... <laughs> Sorry, you guys, I'm not going to be able to edit that out, but Should I tell the guy to stop? stick around. Hang on one second. All right. Um, so, because oftentimes keto and intermittent fasting are used together as a protocol for um, weight loss, I know there's some research that women sometimes start to lose too much body fat or have just, not necessarily too much, but have different reactions to men when it comes to um, fasting. I was just wondering what your opinion on these. First of all, I think the best guy in fasting is Jason Fong, mm -hmm. um, number one. So I don't want to sort of steal any thunder from him. But here's the basic thing. When you do intermittent fasting, there's different ways of doing it. You know, either do five, two, or you can do, you know, every month you could do five days like Volta uh, Longo in, you know, Southern California. Mosley, the guy in London, did, did the five, two. A lot of people do a 16, eight hours where you eat in an eight hour window. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I find that the easiest. I don't like well, we both do that. One. Also for productivity, but, just like you know, another level. Yeah. The, also, the interesting thing though for me is that look, fasting is also very much part of the Muslim world here yeah, in a way. So I mean, you know, the Prophet said, you know, you're supposed to also fast two days a week, and Ramadan's there, and then also every month you're supposed to fast as well. So, yeah, there's a, you know, so it's not weird actually in our culture weird. at all. It's very, it's so the very, fasting part, people absolutely. don't think it's weird. And in fact, it's not just in, in the Muslim you know, uh, religion, it's in most religions. Then, and I think there's some absolute wisdom Old in that fasting. Life. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, look, in my sort of years here in the Middle East, there are very few women that I find have lost too much fat. Mm. <laughs> it's the rare one. Can it happen? Yes. 
And obviously, you don't want to lose too much fat in a while. Once a woman's fat gets down to about 12, 13, 11, 10%, and I do see that sometimes in ballerinas and models, but things go wrong because then their periods stop and they can't have babies and they can't ovulate and things like that. So a certain amount of fat is good. And again, I think if a woman's getting down to those percentages, you want to then obviously increase the carb intake a little bit. And But I find men and women you know, drop their weight and, and the insulin sensitivity absolutely goes up with the fasting. So some people just do keto. In fact, the, the Virtus study was no intermittent fasting. It was pure Only keto. keto. Mm-hmm. So, But when you add the intermittent fasting, I found that it, it's like a really big one-two punch so that the, the intermittent fasting can really speed up the whole process for people and I think if you've got diabetes and things like that you absolutely want to do the intermittent fasting much like you're doing where you're doing the the kind of bullet coffee in the morning and then you know you go and sort of and intermittent fasting is like like I say it's just eating dinner a little early and And eating your breakfast breakfast, or and eating breakfast late or or breakfast late and then having some fat like you're doing with your your, with your coffee and you often find that that keeps you fine until two o'clock i don't yeah i actually like uh, sometimes like a job to like no eat lunch now because then you're not going to want to have dinner at the time that you're supposed to have it um we're also going to have an episode on intermittent fasting i we feel that for women we have t- tips and tricks as women yeah, for that because yeah. I really don't believe that for women you're supposed to just like go without anything. Yeah. It's just you're it's a negative hormonal yeah. response. It happened to me. Yeah. My adrenals me. like got yeah. whacked out. I, I you yeah. know, I, I see Jason Fung doing you know, sometimes twenty, thirty day fast with water with people, but you know, these people are three hundred kilos. But okay. I think for the average just fat overweight person, um, you know, I, I really think the the 16, 8 hours, most people can do that. I mean, I can do it, and I'm like the... the you know, Are you doing it? Yeah, I do it. I okay. absolutely, when I start putting on some extra weight, but I would say most mornings now, I'll have a, a bullet coffee and, and, you know, not eat breakfast and, and have maybe a late lunch or something like that. I don't find that hard to do. And, uh, you know, I don't like going 24 hours without eating. I mean, I, I find that... But, again, I'm not a hardcore intermittent faster and I know I was talking to a lady she 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 fasts 36 hours without eating and she'll talk about a dry fast mm. where there's no even water that she's taking mm. I mean that so, has its benefits <clears throat> it just scares me when people are doing this as a lifestyle yeah. because yeah. rather yeah. than a therapeutic and you know also when I, I looked at this lady the other night you know I thought to myself man she doesn't look vibrant you know she looks a little wasted and she doesn't look vibrant, you know. You can usually tell the energy. Her body's in, person. in a famine response. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's in a. It, it's, Cortisol. I don't, th- yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't just, think yeah. that, it, you know, she didn't look vital and healthy. Because Ramadan is a dry fast. And yeah. I'll say, like, there's a reason it's like it ends, you know. And even, yeah. actually, one month is quite long in my opinion. Yeah. I think dry fasts are very hard on the yeah. body, yeah. especially with our culture where, yeah. like, you're not really giving your. You're just, like, throwing a lot on your body at, yeah. at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. But that's actually how it, it wasn't like that before. Yeah. No, I, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the big mistake with what I see with a lot of my. my Grains uh, and sugar and is dairy. Is that, you know, everything every gets destroyed that night. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like. But, you know, on the same time, I have people who really look at it as a time to go inwards and, and they, they they understand what they're doing Ramadan in a way. Yeah, yeah. And I think they eat very moderately and they actually often come out at the end of their 30 days feeling absolutely tremendous. Yeah. So 
I think that's the correct way probably to do it and not abuse it, you know, like I think a lot of people do. This is why we wanted to do, I really wanted to do Paleo in Dubai with. You know, I didn't want it to be just the Emirati yeah, talking. I yeah. wanted the expat because Dubai yeah. really is Emiratis and expats. Yeah, yeah, and sure. we have different, sure. like, you know, life experiences and yeah. different social, yeah. you know, things that we go through. And Ramadan, for example, for me, it's like, oh, this can be an amazing time where I do. I, and I do, thankfully, like I did, especially this year, really get a chance to go inwards and work through a lot of like stuff. But you know at the end of the day it's like no matter what if you're in a Marathi family the social aspect mm-hmm. is very sugar heavy grain heavy we actually will have an episode on um yeah, how to the deal social with yeah and the social thing because for for example for a lot of expats who are paleo or healthy like the drinking culture is the issue for us it's like the dairy and sugar like that's like people you know just like people drinking, expect you to get a drink they expect you to have dessert you know, drinking it's just is crazy. a huge, huge problem. I mean, and, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's a topic in itself as well about the drinking. Yeah. I don't relate. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's why we wanted Michelle well, we wanted to do this whole yeah because it it is our again, own cultural stuff. Yeah. yeah, and you don't want to be isolated I, from I, friends I, I, and family. I think I think there's also you know I I think looking at health transculturally can also be very insightful because I think all cultures have got good things and bad things, and I mean I think if we're a little discerning, we can we can learn things from each other, you know, in terms of that stuff. So I, I've been fortunate to be in, you know, half a dozen different countries, like in India, for instance, in these places. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of good stuff we can pick up in the healthcare and in a transcultural kind of environment as well. Yeah, ancient wisdom, I think. Yeah, but ancient like wisdom you said, is the, the same old wisdom. And fasting is a good one. Yeah. I feel like I really respect the interventional side of Western medicine, mm. but there's you know, the lifestyle side of Eastern medicine. I kind of want them to come together almost. Absolutely. You know, I I really appreciate it because, you know, I was in my former life for 20 years, I was in the emergency room. And there's no question, look, if if you get run over by a truck as you walk out of here or something, man. You're not going to go keto and get better. You absolutely, you want a good trauma. You want a good trauma surgeon who's going to patch you together and give you some blood and things like Mm -hmm. that. So absolutely. But the problem is most of us now are succumbing to chronic, you know, disease, which is, you know, this chronic Western, the so-called disease of civilization is, is killing everyone. Even in a lot of these developing countries now, you know, communicable disease is much, much smaller. It's all the non-communicable disease that's killing everyone. And there's no way to fix this without, you know, with dietary approaches. You have to use a dietary approach to mm. do those things. Is there anything about the book or the new project, the, the app and the... Um, new network that you're building sure. that you want to share? You know, I think two things. One is the ability to go directly to the consumer with a simple app with just a lot of good information and education can easily be done by training a, a whole sort of army of, of keto coaches, which is really the interest that Michelle and I have as well, is to you know put a really good curriculum together because it's really not that difficult number one. Number two is the book I wrote called The Metabolic Miracle is basically a little summary of some of the things we've been talking about, about keto diet, paleo diet, about intermittent fasting, you know, about stress and how that relates, microbiome, all these things. I mean, I think a a good approach is to do what we call an integral approach. It's a 360 whole person, you know, approach to someone because there's no one thing that's going to fix the person you have to do the sleep you have to manage the stress a bit you have to move a bit you have to sleep well 
have to eat well, a few supplements. You know, it's, it's this whole kind of whole person approach. That is really, because, you know, one plus one plus one is not three, it's equal to like 10. And it's going to so, be equal to eight and nine for exactly, someone else. So again, exactly, bio-individuality exactly, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway. So where can people find your book and when is your app coming out? Can you just... The, uh, app, the yeah. app will be functional next month, um, doing with the app and keto coaching and things like that. We'll be starting a bunch of the training. And then the book is available anywhere. You could go to eternitymedicine.com, the website, eternitymedicine.com. Or you could go to Euromed. They've got a Euromed uh, here where we're doing this in Jumeirah, podcast you guys. in Jumeirah. So, and you can, down, you can download it from Amazon, the, the book. And, um, so it's on Kindle. It's on Kindle. As well. And uh, on the, you can just download it from the website, from the Eternity Medicine website. It's about $9. It's not expensive, but there's a lot of good information in it. So thank you so much for being with us. This yeah, was very so insightful. Um, actually, I wanted to want to ask. So what I heard was that you're actually leaving Dubai. So what if suddenly you have patients that need you and they I'm, want to I'm, be with you? I'm leaving for some months of the year to okay. go to some other countries and also the states a bit. But I'll be. My wife has an apartment here, so we're we'll be here. You're stuck with us, we're, basically. We're we're, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna be here for at least four years. What we want to do is, I really want to. I want to help scale the business by, you know, Michelle's got a great sort of life ahead of her to really do some good stuff with this whole, you know, keto coaching and all this type of thing. Do you require, uh, because actually we have, I have a lot of similar people to Michelle, same age group, same uh, interest in that. And they sometimes feel that kind of like how you felt. It's like, I want to be this health coach, but I don't want to study medicine because it's not what I believe in. Is there something that you would say to so people can actually approach you and maybe if they're interested with the background that you need? I think Michelle would be a great person to contact because we're going to be from next month, we'll probably have a 12-week program and uh, we chat about this. But, you know, some of it, a lot of it will be done at home with some coursework. And then the visits you know, for maybe an hour or two once a week is going to be the practice of being a good keto coach because unless you can take this knowledge in a usable, practical way to people, we're not going to be able to really help transform people. So, yes, there's some didactic, and like you say, you don't have to go and learn a lot of stuff that's going to be pretty much irrelevant, but we're going to hit the, the most important key key things. Do they have so. to be in, like, would you take, um, I'm just thinking out loud because I know I have some Emiratis who follow me as well. And a lot of them are like interested in this stuff. Would you take on Emiratis that maybe their English is not so strong, Absolutely. but they, they would be, be very smart enough to figure it out. There shouldn't be any reason not to, not to do that. Because and then they can cover the Arabic speaking yeah, patients. Yeah. And to be honest, our, our app can be easily converted into Arabic and it's our intention to do that. I mean, obviously if you hear the... Arab world, the it's Middle nice East. to have a, yeah. an Arab. But we also know that there is a business in people pe- keeping people sick. Do you feel like that's... But I feel like a lot of the doctors working under that don't even know that they're part of it. But, <laughs> I mean, I promise you, I would I would hire you mm-hmm. tomorrow as a, coach. Of, as a coach rather than, than these nutritionists. I wish I liked people, though. I don't, I don't want to be a coach. <laughs> <laughs> that's the main reason. Yeah. 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 So, look, the service end is always tricky, you know, in a way. 
away like that. So, you know, you'd be a good anesthetist where you put them to sleep. You don't have oh, to if I was, I always said, like, if I was a doctor, I'd be, if I went to med school, I'd go and be an anesthesiologist. Yeah, absolutely. People who don't like, like patients, yeah. you put them to sleep, you don't have to talk to them, you wake them up and you, sometimes, you're you, you know, you're done. So, but... I'm actually really friendly, by the way. I just came from an I exhibition and I have another exhibit. So it's like, I'm off, like, I'm yeah. just like, I need my... Need to be alone, yeah. <laughs> but it's all good. But um, listen, it's great. I mean, I think it's a good job giving a little good information to people. So I wish you good luck to that. Thank you. And uh, hopefully, we can get some of this uh, interesting water, bactericidal water, or whatever you call oh, it. Oh, they're not going to know what we're good. talking about. So we're actually and we're going to have an episode where we talk about what the hell I do because a lot of people ask me yeah. what I do. And they go to the website or they go to our uh, Instagram and we have a very weird Instagram because all our industries are there. So the veterinary to the lakes to everything. And, you know, people are like, what is this? What does she do? My uncle actually had a hard time because he's like, I told him I was in Gulf food and then I was in agrami and all these things. He's like, are you, what do you do? Like, he just didn't get it. Yeah. And I get it. Like people don't know. So we will talk about Ekabiotech Middle East, my company. Not I mean, can you can opinion. you soak your vegetables in this you stuff? You can actually. We have a product um, called Anafood, and it's very interesting because we get to eliminate systemic toxicity from a lot of the chemicals in food processing. Uh, you can disinfect freely, and it's also non-corrosive. So in stainless steel kitchens, we have a process from A to B. So you actually can get full biosecurity for your premise, mm -hmm. whether it's a kitchen or um, you need specific things for back of house and front of house if you're a restaurant mm. so we have that and we work with distributors as well mm. so they tend to already be very immersed in these industries and they offer that but all that is coming up on a different episode for sure because it's a lot like we're in many industries like it's a lot for me now so Great. Yeah. The Great. one next week is veterinary, believe it or not. So it's it's a lot. And that's actually the biggest moneymaker. People don't realize how big veterinary is. You know, the, the amazing thing is like in Los Angeles, because my friend, I've got a couple of very good vet friends. And the amazing thing is all these dogs and cats, you know, the small animals, they've all got diabetes. What Why? Heck? Because they're eating off. They're all fat. They're all grain fed, actually. They're all fat, yeah, yeah. fat little cats. We have they're, cats. All, they're all sick. Because they're eating the same crap. They're eating their like food. Yeah. Oh my god, that's I. I don't let people feed our pet. Like, yeah, we have actually. We act. My cousin has a rescue, so she runs a rescue. Um, you know, she's a student, but she's doing it. To, yesterday was actually their pet rescue adoption. Their first adoption, where they took the cats to somewhere and everyone would adopt them. But yeah, they all live with her and her family, and she's very good about it. But we see, like, when they go to someone and. They get fattened up. Yeah, suddenly it's like well, and but even like we have a dog that's pretty fat, so yeah, we have an obese uh, Pomeranian. And it's when the you, when thing you look at it, it's also all food you're getting. You know, you buy all this food; it's all processed crap that these poor dogs are eating. Yeah, you know, they're not eating. It's not meat, things. actually. It's all like soybean and, and corn. It's still grain based, yeah. and like dyes and all that stuff. Mm. I know. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, it was so lovely, lovely meeting, meeting you. you. Yeah, yeah. Great so can you, where can people reach you? Can you just shout out your handle, your social media handle, even though I've tagged you like 50 times this morning? My social media. That's I, I remember it. Don't worry. At Dr. Graham Simpson. <laughs> no, there, is, there, there are a couple. I mean, look, we're on a, a couple of different things now on Instagram and these things. I'm just getting, Michelle knows I'm pretty bad at this stuff, but... You know, there are more and more people interested in getting some info in that. I do write a blog and things as well, so I put out the Is blog. it on Eternity Medicine? 
There's one here at Euromed, mm-hmm. and it used to be on Eternity Medicine, my old Eternity Medicine company, but um, we'll be writing a blog on the new app as well that we've got here, so it'll be good uh, with the app. But yeah, we're on, you can get us on, you know, eternitymedicine.com, and there's Graham D. Simpson, you know, going up.com as well, and there's Facebook and Instagram and things now. So, so you're everywhere. Have accounts on that, and okay. send you that stuff as well. We're looking at, Increasing. Uh, I was just talking to the lady here. I'm amazed at her. I just saw her earlier. Um, Huda Beauty. She yeah. Twenty seven point three million people. Yeah, that's thing. not us. <laughs> no, no. That's, she was here. We were just chatting about okay. it. She's also got a blog person. Who's, I think they get three million new hits every month. So it'd be nice to put a little bit on the book on something on these things. But um, it's actually where all of us. Um, like I mean, for. Michelle, like, what interested her is she really wants to get further in her career in the health world. And we know that reaching out to people and putting that out there. I think the social media is where to go because, I mean, you want to go directly to the consumer. And I'll be honest, like, for me, this is not my career, but I really, like, part of me really wants to down the line, like, figure out if I want to do something in paleo. And I I just care about it so much and Mm. it's part of my everyday. Mm. And uh, one thing we both like is that for us, it's like, a passion so mm-hmm. I, it's own for me it's almost like it gets away from all the disinfection stuff that i care yeah, about and i'm good at but yeah. it's like it's you know it's almost like too much of a good thing like i love that and i'm so passionate about it but i'm like i do this but every day i think you know you're you're a great conduit to the locals because i mean you're born and bra- you know raised here and that and you're obviously you you've got a, a broader vision of things so i mean there are not too many of you like that. I mean, there are I know, some. I'm special. <laughs> no, they are, I, I'm not. Listen, I'm not complaining. I mean, it's just a fact. I know, I know. Thank it's you. just a fact. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I think you could play a very important role. I mean, you know, getting this information to some of the younger mothers because they don't want their kids sick. They don't want to have their husbands dying of, you know, 50. You know, the first sign of heart disease for 50% of people is sudden death. And 100% of people having heart attacks, it's all blood sugar. It's got nothing to do with cholesterol. Mm. And these poor people don't know that. And that's when they're sucking down all this bloody crazy stuff, you know. So you have to, you have to yeah. get the word out. We can sit with you all day, to be honest. And yeah. this is not, um, I'm going to put you on the spot. This is not your last episode with us. We're going <laughs> to meet, no meet you down the line check. if we have actual things we want your Absolutely. opinion on. Absolutely. Uh, you're going to be, yeah. Really specific. This was quite a general. Yeah. yeah so mine's um, at Shall I Cook uh, on Instagram. And that's it for now. I'm rebranding my website, so I haven't got it up yet. So I'm at Paleo in Dubai. You probably already know that. So you guys, thank you for tuning in. Um, Our next episode will probably be together about intermittent fasting, and we definitely have more interviews. So thank you so much for tuning in.